Welcome to the RSP Scout Talk. I'm Matt Waldman. Joining me every other week, and I always just look forward to this greatly, is Russ Landy, former NFL scout. You know, I did remember your name this time, Russ. I was just trying to think of That's how fair. I was going to introduce you. That's you know, right. friend right. of mine, you know, someone I who... See, I see the gray hair. It's okay if it, you're going to miss a few little it, uh, listen, names man, there. The hat is just <laughs> holding my brains together right now. <laughs> but fortunately... Maybe I got to start wearing a hat. That I keep, it's, I'm trying to keep, it's the big earphones and the, and the, and the hat. It's holding it from not spilling out of my ears at this point. That's fair. Yeah. Well, hey, I know the craziness you do with your hours of watching film to do your RSP. So I know your brain's got to be itching for some time outside. So <laughs> it is. And I'm about to, and I'm about to get a dog for a week that we may end up, uh, <laughs> We may end up keeping who um, who I've done draft report. I've done scouting reports of where we're at. We're at the we're now we're at the facility visit with the dog on at least on Twitter. Um, and, <laughs> and so far, the the head of scouting at the RSP household has 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 given him a high grade, but he does have <laughs> some injury concerns. But the doctor has cleared him for that too. Um, so now now it's now it's down to the workouts and drills. So I'm taking him to a. You know, this this week I'm taking him to a um, a position specialist so that we can see we can run him through his paces a little bit. But uh, <laughs> but maybe it. that'll keep me that'll keep me a little bit sane. But today we're gonna have a fun show because we're gonna talk a little bit about um, the Cliff Kingsbury firing and the state of the Cardinals organization in terms of the background of some of that. We're gonna talk about Justin Fields and um, it, you know the concerns that we're seeing in major media, at least in some aspects, about the idea that. Maybe, you know, maybe he's not their guy. And if he isn't, then, you know, what to do from there. And we're going to talk about something that, you know, just this morning I was asked by an uh, uh, offensive line coach at the high school level, what are some of the traits we look for in a running back and red flags that maybe make them undraftable? What is it that maybe NFL teams, um, some teams or coaches or, or scouts, look at that can sometimes be um, misnomers or red herrings for the running back position or just problematic in general as a as a topic for evaluation that that's just going to be some good old scout talk about that so let's just get rolling right in this with with cliff kingsbury getting fired i know you have some thoughts about this that i think are really interesting well first i gotta say i mean i'd heard probably for a month or two from a few different people i trust a ton that are sort of insiders um, that this was happening. They said Kingsbury is going to be out, and they said Steve Kime will be out. And you never want to see anybody lose their job. Trust me, I've been in this business a long time. People get fired, and that's the worst part of this business is the lack of job security. Um, it just, firstly, it was surprising. Even though they've been reporting it and telling me this for two months, I was surprised because the Cardinals are known as an organization that because they, they tend to be cheap with, there's not so much paying their employees, like, they, all that, but they don't like to fire people with time left on their contract because they don't want to pay them and then pay a new guy, which I understand. It makes business sense. Um, so a lot of people around the league that kept saying, we think this may happen. They also said, well, don't be shocked if they get another year or two just because that'll get them towards the end of their new contract because their contract extensions, the guarantees, I believe, end after 26. 27 is sort of an option. So everybody kept saying, don't be shocked. But when they fired him, I just thought back, okay, how did this process get here? I mean, 
things were going great. If you want to go back, I don't know, eight or ten years ago, Bruce Arians is there, Kurt Warner is there, Chris or Warner, and then Arians, and then uh, Carson Palmer, and so there's some good things. They have quarterback play. They're they're going to the Super Bowl. Then they have a little downtime. Then Palmer comes in. They're doing well again. Then Bruce leaves. Palmer's gone. Steve Wilkes is the coach. Josh Rosen gets picked 10th or 9th overall in the first round. Yeah. And within one calendar year, they decide that Wilkes is not the answer as a coach. Which, firstly, to me, if you're hiring a guy as your head coach and you're firing him after a year, either it is egregious yeah. what is going on, which I would find that hard to believe. Not that I know Coach Wilkes, but everybody that I know that's dealt with him says there may not be a more professional, prepared, organized, disciplined coach in the league. And if that's the case, what could be going so sideways after one year that you're ready to blow that ship up? Then you throw in the Josh Rosen thing. And that, to me, I get if you bring him in and you realize, oh, my God, we completely screwed the pick. I understand that. But then to say, okay, we're going to get rid of Wilkes and we're going to go say, okay, we're going to, instead of saying who are the veteran coaches in the league that have been successful, who are some young guys that have been in successful programs in the NFL, to go to a college coach who had just been fired, had had very little success in terms of winning and losing. I'm not saying he didn't do some good things, but winning and losing in college with good quarterbacks. I think it was Mahomes and Baker Mayfield. And basically didn't go to bowl games consistently with those guys. And it never even worked in the NFL. He'd been a player in the NFL on a PR, I think, for a year or two, but that was it. And to then put him in charge of a franchise. And it's not to say he couldn't ever be successful, but to expect him in that situation to be successful. That's what I understand. To me, he would have been the perfect guy to bring in and say, how about you become an OC? Get used to the NFL, the differences between college and the NFL. Then let's Let's try to do it. But that that didn't happen. They threw him in and said, all right, we're going to blow Rosen out. We're going to draft Kyler Murray. So it's like we're going to try all these things that historically haven't worked, which is a college coach that was not overly successful, a short quarterback, which, yes, we all know Russell Wilson's been very successful. But history still does say it's very hard when you're under six feet if you're not an excellent passer, not just okay, Russell Wilson was exceptional in many areas, which enabled him to overcome being 5'10 and change. When you look at Murray, there are some exceptional traits, but there are also some that are just average or below average. So what are the odds of that being successful with a coach who was not particularly successful in college? To me, that just screamed, whoa, what is going on? And I was very surprised they did it then. And I thought the other thing that since then has been interesting because I'm not, and you know this, Matt, even though we've done this show a million times, I am a scout who knows the basic concepts. I am far from a guy you're going to put on the board and say, teach our linebackers all the drops and all the – no. If you do that, your linebackers are going to miss every tackle and be in the <laughs> wrong spot every single play because that ain't my gig. I'm not a coach. So I would ask people I knew around the league that either knew that as a scout or were coaches – about Kingsbury's offense in the NFL, not so much in college, because I don't really care about that. And a lot of what they said was they said, hey, in college, you probably can get away with it. The, the hash mark differences make this offense a little bit more dangerous in college. But they said in the NFL, it's not as dangerous and it's a lot more easy for us to scheme against 
than some of the offenses that we face on a regular basis in the NFL. So I thought, so you have, you're going with a coach who had never won in college or consistently won, a quarterback who doesn't fit the prototype and has some legitimate questions about certain things he can do. And this coach is going to run a scheme that at least according to people who have watched it, have concerns about. So to me, the whole thing was just a weird match. And I understand, trust me, I'm not trying to kill Arizona. Other teams have made awful hires over the years, and I don't want to put put the target on them. But to me, all of those things combined just made it a very, very strange hire. Um, and I feel really bad because forget what I not, – not so much even about the fact of people losing their job. But, I mean, this is an organization that has people like Drew Grigson, who, I mean, he's been there 15-plus years. I mean, he has worked his way up. He is about as hardworking and, and dedicated and a good film evaluator. Guys like John Mancini who have been in the league for ages, over 20 years scouting. They have good scouts in that building, good administrators. And to see it happen like this where it just – I just don't get it. I don't understand how it got to this point, how they put themselves in this position. I hope they can get it turned around, but it's a really weird situation to me that they ended up here. Yeah, I think those are some absolutely great points and a nice overview of really what's gone on for Arizona over the past several years that gets us to that point and why some of those things are questionable. And it, and I think that stands out to me, especially from the standpoint of uh, – listeners who who are probably a lot of them are fantasy players so when they hear us talk about um kyler murray you know they might go well he's had some elite level production but the thing Mm -hmm. is is that i think it's important to note that one good year or or a year and a half that's really strong or even a couple of strong years isn't necessarily lasting success with a player because the team, again, as we've talked about on the show a lot, and you brought it up, is that those first 18 to 24 games of a player's career, sometimes even up to three years of a quarterback's career, is when they get found out. You know, we find out, A, you know, I think the way we can sum it up quickly is the first 12, you know, maybe the first six to eight games are, can they play to the speed of the NFL and look like the player they look like on film? Um then the next question is when defenses adjust because scouting um, teams do their, their scouting of the NFL teams, they compile their reports over a period of time and then start trying to incrementally implement things that may or may not work because they only have a small sample size of it. And then each successive team that faces Kyler Murray and the Cardinals adds those layers and go, well, we watched these two teams that clearly implemented something here our scheme fits these things. Our scheme and personnel doesn't fit these things. So we're not going to try that. So we're going to try something else. And next thing you know, it takes another six to eight games where by the end of the season, there's teams that go, we're not very good on defense, but we have a book on Kyler Murray. And we know that if we can keep the pocket high on the edges, we can force him to um, try and move early that, yeah, he may beat us with one to two plays where he runs around for 30 seconds, um, but likely only one of those plays he's going to score on. The rest of them, he's going to get sacked or he's going to get minimal yardage or he's going to throw in an accurate pass. So here's the things that we can do. And that book comes out, and now it's not about did he look like what he did in college. Now it's about 
can he look like what he did in college facing new new wrinkles things that yep. are designed to stop him can he do that and then if he can and then the book gets developed on him now it's like can he overcome and grow past some of the book or is he just is this the book and is the book um if it's a thin book like say matt ryan i think there was for most of his career there's a book on matt ryan but the book was very specific and if you couldn't do perform that book to the letter then matt ryan was going to have a chance to beat you and if they yep. could do it to the letter matt ryan was going to throw to the feet of his receivers and i'm not going to say he was going to give up but he was going to no. be completely frustrated but and he was going to look like matt ryan of the colts um you know or or the falcons late in the preseason before they revamped their line in that shanahan era that we went talked about years ago um but with murray well, it's a well i always book. like to look at it with uh I always point out to people that if you look at before Peyton Manning, who held all the rookie passing records? And people don't realize it was Rick Meyer. Well, Rick Meyer, his first year and a half in the league yes. was phenomenal. And yes. a lot of the issues you run into, and this is also the same reason why people say to me when a quarterback's only started for a year in college or a year in a few games, they say, well, why is that a big deal? I said, well, the biggest thing is once you start a full year in college, especially now with computers and technology and analytics, that offseason, they watch the film. They have all the numbers. They know the things that you are not particularly good at. Even in college, they take it away. So the biggest thing you want to see as a scout when you're looking at a player in his second year of college as a starter, as a quarterback, not does he go from, okay, I was good, and now they're adjusting. Do I become better? No, it's how do you adjust? Are you able to start adjusting to the things they're forcing you to do that you weren't particularly good at? And when you don't see that in college, it's hard to project that in the NFL. And with a guy like Murray, you were asking him in college, it was a very different, and as it always is for guys that are so rare, both physically throwing the ball and physically running the ball, that are able to create things on their own. In the NFL, even the greatest athletes, Lamar Jackson being possibly the greatest guy, he can't do it every play just with his feet. Yeah. He has to do it at other times with his arms, his head, everything. So if they start to take things away, how do you do? And and part of it also we have to lay to is that offense giving him enough to take advantage of his skill set? How would he do with a coach? And this is why I think it's very interesting. You hear Sean Payton's name thrown around. How would he do with an offense like Sean's where it was, hey, we're dropping back. We are pocket passing most of the time, but it's quick hitting. It's read ball out, read ball out. Murray has quickness. He can get the ball out. He's got a live arm. Could he function in that type of offense? I think it would be a really interesting sort of thing to watch and see a guy like Sean that's been so successful. How does he do it with a, a quarterback like that? But I don't think people understand that that first year or two, getting those, those starts, it's so important for a million reasons. But one of the great reasons is you get to see that once teams get 16, 18, 20 games of film, they start figuring things out, and they start understanding, oh, okay, these four or five things, if we can make him do those things, we're going to win. Yeah. And then your job as a quarterback is, okay, I don't have to become good at those, but i got to become adequate or good enough so that if they do do it, I might beat them occasionally. So they have to play more of a full defense as opposed to just trying to force me to one or two things because I'm so bad at it. So 
it's it's really a chess match, and, and that to me is where we don't know where Murray's going to end up. Is he going to be that guy that makes the jump and the light goes on and he can become a well-rounded all-around quarterback, or is he going to go down the path of many other quarterbacks who had a few years of early success and then they were figured out, and it doesn't mean they can't play in the league anymore, but maybe they're not long-term starters. Maybe they're great backups who can fill in for a few games, and that's what we still don't know about Murray. Yeah, and this uh, you know this topic fits very well, and what you just explained is fits very well with why Trey Lance is still a question mark as a player. Mm-hmm. Um, also, it is a good lead-in to where you can, I think, appropriately express concerns about Anthony Richardson of Florida, the the prospect there, because he's a one essentially a one year starter. Um, now, now I will. Well, I have a lot more to say about Richardson because I'm a fan of what I see with his game. But that, to me, is the most legitimate argument that I've seen about him is that conceptually he hasn't seen enough for you to know what he can overcome and what he can't. Whereas if someone says, well, he's raw I would, and he doesn't make good decisions, then my answer would be maybe with things that we haven't seen him do yet. But with things exactly. we have seen him do, um, don't look at the accuracy percentage completely yet. Because there, and we'll talk more about him because there's some really fascinating manipulative things with him. But with yeah, Murray, he's one I can't wait to look at. I gotta, I gotta yeah. do a deep dive on him. Yeah, I can't wait to hear what you think about him. But like, I'll say this about Murray is, I would love to see him face, you know, um, or um, matched up with with a coach, you know, like who you're talking about because the thing about him though is that he's going to have an adjustment period because we know as a pocket player he is it's one of his weaknesses he is a he has been so part of it is that he's been so enabled at the high school and college level based on the success that he had the coaches watch him and say well no one can catch him so if if he feels pressure he runs to his next spot. The, the head goes down. The ball comes, yep. goes out, you know, flies out somewhere else. He makes a dr- dramatic, dynamic move that get, may get away from the best athletes. But then he has to get his head back up, get his body back into position, get the ball back within his frame. And all of that costs his receivers an opportunity or costs him an opportunity to find the open receiver, which then forces him to have to do the same process a second time, maybe even a third time, and on occasion, which people love on the highlights, a fourth time. And now 30 seconds have gone by, and he's literally missed two to three open receivers during all of the what you could call athletic histronics yep. that, are, that are happening. And now... If he hits someone, that's great, but he's also worn out his offensive line. He's also put himself at much greater risk of getting sacked or hit. His receivers are have run a mile trying to get open for him. And so he creates more pressure and more problems than he solves efficiently with a lot of that yep. movement. So in order for him to function in that offense, yeah, that's going to be a big test for him because he's going to have to prove, and that's winning from the pocket. Like that's when you brought up yep. Lamar Jackson. That's so great because 
you know, winning from the pocket isn't about not having mobility. It's about no. having the ability to be able to sit still or to be able to move efficiently. And sometimes efficient movement is dynamic movement. Sometimes yep. it's Tom Brady infighting. Exactly what I thought of. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yep. But you know, it, it's funny because I, when I look at Murray and the issues I see in the pocket, I see a little bit of Baker Mayfield. Because Baker, if he has to hold the ball more than that, even when there's no one around him, he tends to get a little bit sort of jumpy feet. Yes. He almost doesn't like to sit there and wait. And and I'll I'll draw it to this sort of uh, why Murray the 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 question or whatever it may be is there two two points I guess the thing that coaches in the NFL want more than anything else when they're coaching a player and it's especially a quarterback is just consistency. Yeah. If you do the same thing every snap, I can if you're good enough, I can coach that because I know what I'm getting. Yeah. With Murray. You don't know because you don't know how he's going to take each play and what he's going to do with it. Not that he is trying to intentionally do anything bad or that his decision-making process is bad. It's just that it's different every time. If he got to the point where every time a team blitzed off this side against this alignment, he always did the same thing and always made this series of reads, they'd be comfortable with that. But it's not always that way. And that's what they want to see. Coaches just want the same thing. That's why sometimes you'll see – a worse tackle athletically who gets whipped every once in a while by elite players starting over a way more athletic tackle who can handle those guys because that way more athletic tackle may not have fundamentals and he gets beaten inconsistently. At least you know the limited athletic tackle. He's going to get whipped when the scheme ends up where that super amazing press, pass rusher is coming off the edge and he's the only one to block him. Well, you know what's coming. So you can chip, you can roll away because you know exactly what's happening every snap. And with Kyler, we have yet to get to that point. And I'll throw the other thing in, which is a buddy of mine told me, and this wasn't so much about Kyler or, or Josh Allen or Lamar, but it, but it was about the idea of a quarterback who cannot be comfortable as a pocket passer. And he said, our coaching staff loves going against them for one reason. He said, it isn't that they can't beat us. He said, they may. But he said, if they do, it's going to be one, two, or three just unbelievable magician plays. And he said, that means if they don't hit those one, two, or three plays, we win. Yes. And he said, that's a lot easier to coach than against the guy who's going to methodically be like the water dripping. Yep. He said, and that's what kills you is when it's the same and consistent. He said, when it's one or two big plays, he goes, if we get beat, we get beat. He said, but most of the time we're not because they're not going to be able to pull the rabbit out of the hat. It's a fantastic point. And the guy who embodies that point and grew into embodying that point is Kirk Cousins. Because Kirk yep. Cousins, to begin his career, you could see all the things that would make him a consistent starting quarterback in the league. But you also saw certain things with him that needed to be eliminated. And if he could eliminate those things, he was going to be a solid starting quarterback if not a good starting quarterback in this league and those things were he thought he could be dynamic in situations in the pocket that he just couldn't be at this level and he really he started ex he exhibited those things at michigan state but because it's a process again you're in high school you're a top athlete you can probably run and make the throws that you think of Brett Favre making or whoever it was that he was watching 
who Elway, whoever it was growing up that he saw be able to run and gun it and be able to throw off balance with a defender in his chest, whatever it was. Yeah, exactly. He saw those things and he could do it in high school. So then he got it to Michigan State and then he starts trying to do that. And sometimes he has success. Oftentimes he doesn't. But the sometimes he had success still rings true in his head from high school. And coaches are like, we're winning games. It was a mistake. You got to work on that. But, you know, we're not going to yeah. go crazy about it. We got limited hours. Then you get to the NFL. And now you're in a situation where that type of stuff's going to happen more often. If And when it does, you have to learn to go, I'm, I'm taking my losses right now. Like a... You know, yep. throwing it out of bounds or taking the sack is going to be a successful play for me. And that goes against every thought that a playmaker who's gotten to this level has. Even if they're not a Favre-like playmaker, they're thinking that way. Yeah. And so the so to, it's a credit to Kirk Cousins, A, that he was able to address that, though he had a lot of moments early in his career where people no go... Doubt these were some stupid decisions or these were God awful and they were so ill-timed that he's never going to be, or it's not going to be this. And to his credit, he figured out, yeah, I'm not Brett Favre. I'm never going to be Brett Favre and I need to cut this out. And occasionally he still does it occasionally, yep. but more times than not, he's found that line of going, here's where I can do a little of it. Yep. Here's where I know I can. I can cross it occasionally. Yes. But in general, I can't. And it also, on a total side note, it also begs the question of, could a guy like Favre function in today's NFL where interceptions and turnovers are the death of you? Yeah. Would yeah. he be considered Favre or would he be considered a guy like a Philip Rivers? That's a good question, you know? And that's uh, a... Like, that's a whole other debate. That's for sure. <laughs> but we have another quarterback that we definitely want to talk about because there seems to be debate about whether Justin Fields is the guy in Chicago. And if he isn't, should they be going after a guy like Bryce Young? Or is, is it, I guess it's Bryce Young versus Justin Fields. Is it, you know, or is it just, are the Bears out of their mind that they don't like just, uh, Justin Fields enough? What's going on there? Well, you know, it's a weird situation for a number of reasons. Firstly, if Ryan Poles, who is their GM, and I think he's done a phenomenal job this year, forgetting I didn't agree with the Chase Claypool. To me, that was too risky. Too. But if you take all the moves he's made, there's about 50 that have been good, one that have been bad. That's That has the potential to be elite, rare GM sort of statistics if he continues to go with this pace. If he had been there a year earlier and he was the one that selected Justin Fields, this probably wouldn't be a debate because he would be the guy who would say, hey, these are the things I saw, this is how comfortable I was, and this is why we took him so high. But because he wasn't, now we have to, we don't know. And the ironic thing is, who probably knows the best? But the Chiefs may have a pretty good idea because he was there. Yeah. And I'm sure the Bears, like Ryan has expressed to the Bears people, but outside of the Bears, no one may know except the Chiefs what he really thought of Fields. And if what he thought of Fields and what they've seen of Fields, and I think he's made a lot of positive strides. I think when you look at last year to this year, he looked so much more calm, so much more ready to go through his reads and, and do what we expect a quarterback to do, especially a young one. Um, but as an organization, this is a rare opportunity 
if, now this is if, they feel <coughs> that Bryce Young or Stroud or the kid from Kentucky, Levis or Levis, if they feel any of those three is a true elite rare guy that's worthy of a number one pick and they don't feel Fields is there, you almost have to say we're going to take that guy because you aren't the one that took Fields. And if you don't feel from what you've seen there this year, watching him on film, watching him in your building, seeing him on the practice field, that he can be at least a good quality starter, and you have that grade on those quarterbacks, you have to make the move. But the issue becomes, do you feel that way about those quarterbacks? And what do you really think about Fields? I mean, I know when we talked, I think we talked about him coming out. There are a lot of positives to this kid. I mean, even though he has a little bit of a hitch when he throws, there's a little bit of a delay in the ball going back. His actual physical quickness, once the ball starts coming forward, is good. He's got the arm. I thought he was a very accurate thrower in college, much more accurate than I thought he would be when I started watching film. And I didn't think he was a panic guy. Um, And everything I've heard is that he's a high-character kid, does all the right things. So this is, to me, the most interesting part for them is this this is really going to be a career-defining situation because – And I think you've heard this quote many times, which is when you have two quarterbacks, you have no quarterbacks. So the risk you run is if you say, hey, we like Fields, we think he can be maybe become elite, but we're not sold and we're going to take a quarterback at one. If you honestly think you can take a quarterback at one and have them both in the building together, I'd be stunned if you can pull that one off. So if you're taking a quarterback at one, it means you're moving on from Fields now before the draft. I don't know. Just to me, it's that's a hard one. That's a it, like I said, Poles is not married to Fields. He did not select them, but that is a very hard spot for the organization to be. Yeah. So how much of that is, how much of that is to you the idea of we have a high pick, so we know that if we don't, if we don't talk about the idea of taking a quarterback, if we aren't seriously considering it or at least putting that out there, that um, teams aren't even going to deal with us when it comes to trade. Definitely part of it. There's no question, um, especially because, I mean, everybody talks about the kid from Kentucky, um, the Richardson kid, the Stroud kid. But I have heard people in the NFL tell me that Young may be the best quarterback since Andrew Luck. There are people saying that, yes, he's small and, and nobody likes that. But if you watch the way he throws, you watch a lot of the – the skill set that he has. And I've not graded him because I'm pretty sure he's not coming to the CFL anytime soon. <laughs> but the scouts I've spoken to said they legitimately think this is a number one overall type quarterback. It's just, it's a very, firstly, you have to generate the demand. Because what if all of a sudden they can get the same thing that the, uh, the Eagles and the uh, Rams traded three ones to move up when they traded to get Wentz and, and Goff? Hey, if, if the Bears could just get two ones and a two or three, they'd be thrilled out of their mind to get that. But all of it comes back to they as an organization, before deciding if they're trading, they must decide, do we feel comfortable? Because especially for the coach, maybe the GM gets a second coach if things go sideways, but maybe not because of this decision. But do they feel comfortable saying we are committing that Fields is the guy? Do we feel as an organization, this is we're ride or die with this guy? Because if they're not, then it may be time to cut bait 
see what you can get in a trade and go with the kid you think is better. Well, listen, I mean, Bryce Young to me has a grade right now, and I'm halfway through studying him um, for the amount of games that I usually watch, that um, he's going to be no worse most likely than the second-ranked quarterback on my board, if at worst. Um, and his grade right now marries up with what I had grades for Burrow and Tua Tagovailoa um, when they came out. That at worst. So, yep. so stylistically, you, you know, and you look at his game, and stylistically, you can see him being that quarterback who we talked about earlier about a Drew Brees type, uh, a Russell Wilson type, maybe even, the, you know, I'm not gonna say. When I say type, I'm not saying the player, but even a Joe Montana type in terms of like, you know, the precision, the way that he reads the field, the way he understands leverage. There seem to be elements that you look at those enough and you go, that look, that was so good. It almost looks like it could be an accident, but I'm, but, um, yeah, I've seen him ha do it a couple of times now. I still like exactly. to see maybe four or five of these because it could have been a happy accident. Um, some of these things that he did that would really say he's special, but he's yep. certainly he's certainly a good young football player who does beg that question um, a good deal. I will say, you know, as if I was going to give an early report on Young, I'd say he like a lot of good young quarterbacks, he tries to do too much in the red zone. He's, he does a lot of things in the red zone that I think I've seen a lot of at least people, scouts leak to the media that seem to either they either under underplay or overlook or seem to be in common with players that they were also high on that didn't work out well. And some of those things were, you know, when they're inside their own 20 or they're inside the opponent's 20 that they don't play mature football. Um, and I would say that Bryce Young and a lot of those guys can overcome that. It's not a yep. it's not a death knell. It's just one of those things no. that you do look at and say, you know This better this better have been proved or it's gonna be a life uh, career issue. Yeah. Otherwise you're looking at people saying, Well, Mitchell Trubisky was better than Patrick Mahomes, um, and he's a and here's all the good reasons on paper why but the difference being is that, well, Patrick Mahomes was inconsistent in the red zone, but you wouldn't, I would have made a bet with people that when you put Mitchell Trubisky inside either 20 um, backed up or inside that he was more likely to make a mistake than he was to make a good play. Um, and, and those are, those are things where like Patrick Mahomes on a bad moment would do that but not every moment. And no, those are, exactly. you know, that's, that's kind of where we're at with Bryce Young is that he's somewhere in between Trubisky and Mahomes in that, in those areas that, that are interesting. But that said, you, you know, it's, it's fascinating to me, this discussion about fields, because yeah, from watching him, it's, you know, when we scout players, we want to eliminate as many outside factors as possible. To, to make a determination about them. At the same time, there are certain factors that can enhance what a player does. And and if you don't have those factors, you I don't know if you can you could kind of almost say it's an incomplete grade. And yep. when you don't have receivers who get open on their first routes, 
you don't have receivers that you can make trust throws to who are going to make enough plays to to win in that in that situation um who don't position themselves well to the football um that's an issue if they can't get you know open at the line of scrimmage against press coverage if you have interior linemen who you're having to prolong plays on a regular basis and you have both those things as a combination and the strength of your game on offense is your quarterback running and your and your top two running backs and that's your strength and you have a good tight end but he's a good tight end he's not a he's not Travis Kelsey no, no. Yep. And and I think it just it's a very to me and and truthfully, this is why this is why you pay a GM. Yeah. They have to make this hard decision. And a lot of it really, this is the thing I don't think fans realize. Yes, what he did in games fields this year is gonna play a factor, but a lot of it is what is he doing in the building? Yes. Because they're gonna they're gonna be able to know how much time he puts in, how is he mental? Like, does he get it? Is he making the correct calls? Are there times where he does something that the announcers of the game and the media ridicule him for, but according to our rules and what we're coaching him, that's exactly what we want him to do. And it just, unfortunately, the results were bad, but that's how we want him to do it. Those are the things that the Bears know that almost nobody else knows. So I, if I were to be a betting man, I don't, I'm not a huge betting man. Me neither. I have to believe that they, that Ryan Poles, part of the interview process, part of the decision for him to go there, was that they had just taken fields a year ago. Um, I don't think you go to a place where they just spent a high first-round pick a year before on a quarterback with the intention of he's not good. If he doesn't improve quickly, we're going to get rid of him because – then you become in that chasing a quarterback mode. At least to me, that third or fourth year is usually when you see things start to turn the corner. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I just I have a sneaky feeling that they're going to trade out of that pick, um, whether it's for picks or players or what. Um, and I think they would love to find a way to get maybe two or three stud O-line, D-line, whatever the combination is, two on one side, one on the other. Because they believe in winning in the trenches. Um, and I think if they can do that, I think they would feel a lot more comfortable with Fields as the guy. It's a very odd situation. But like I said, it all is going to come down to what they as a building feel about Fields and what they as a building feel about, whether it's Bryce Young or any of them. Because if they truly think Young is a franchise quarterback and they feel Fields is okay, they're going to take Young and they're going to ship out Fields. Yeah. To me, I always thought of, Justin Fields as being the type of player who needed a Josh Allen type of development track from the standpoint of this, that he was he was a dynamic thrower of the football. He was a dynamic runner. He showed some pocket skill. He also needed development with certain reads. There are certain types of reads that he had blind spots with. There were certain mistakes that he made that you would say he needed to work his way through. But he also was going to need uh, a team that recognized that there are certain system, uh, systemic things that they could do to allow him to... Ohio State likes to play a vertical game. So they throw a lot vertically, but that means that you're not getting second and third windows often 
for the receiver on the same route. So if you don't read it the first time and get that ball out confidently, you're going to either make a misread or you're just not going to throw the ball. Um, and, yep. and you're going to miss an opportunity. So Fields struggled sometimes in some of those looks, the same way Josh Allen did. Josh Allen really thrived once Brian Dable realized it's like, listen, when I come in here, I'm going to get you a Stephon Diggs who's going to reroute. I'm going to get yeah. you the slow developing long read where you can buy time and find Gabriel Davis behind people. But I'm going to give you players where and a system where we're going to run levels where you can sprint across the field and get outside the pocket and use that ability. But instead of having to wait for a receiver to reroute, the receiver's just automatically rerouting because they're breaking across the field. And now you've now you're not having to account for as many factors. You're you're just continuing along one spectrum with two routes maybe breaking in this direction, or they're both breaking in this direction. You're not having too many where it's like They've stopped. They've made a break. Now they've got to figure out where to go. And now you've got to be on the same page with them to a degree that you don't have to be when you know that it's just a break. And I think that, and then as Allen got comfortable, he started getting better with all the routes. It wasn't. As you always do. As you get more comfortable, your confidence goes up and boom, you become better at everything. You just start making all those gains. So I think that that was important for for Allen, and I think it's important with Fields. But I agree with you. If I were to just bet on it today without knowing the most important thing that you highlighted so well, which is what goes on inside the building, the answer would be they're keeping Fields. Fields look good. I don't think there's you know there's growth there. I mean, he came in when the whole disaster of what was considered with Matt Nagy with Nagy, yep. you know, and how he how he handled Fields. And his and the and the the scheme and the scripting and the development with that 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 wasn't what they wanted it to be, and you could see that it got smoothed out, and that there were there were times that you look at him and you say, that's the direction you wanted to see. So as long as he is what they think he is in the building, if anything, I think they go, don't worry about what we're saying about you right now yeah. on the outside. Please play along because we are trying to build a team around you. And the less yeah. the less you talk, the better off we are. You know, you know. Or they may even say something along the line. They may even, if they really believe in Fields and say, this is our guy, and they, they sit him down and they say, hey, this is a great test for them with Fields is, can you keep your trap shut and do what we're asking, which is we want you to be the guy, but we can't make you the guy without talent. We need someone to come get this pick because they really want Bryce Young. Yeah. So we need you when you're asked to say, hey, no, nothing's been told to me. I just come to work every day. And if they bring in Bryce Young because I haven't played well enough yet, then I'm going to go out there and compete and hope to win the job for Bryce Young. Yeah. And if he takes the job, I'll be the best backup and trying to beat him every day in practice. And it's a great test because, A, you find out if Fields can keep his jab shut. Yep. which a lot of players have a hard time doing, especially young guys. Yep. Um, and B, can he sell it? Can he go out there and say, yeah, I'm, I'm a teammate. If they bring in Young, I wouldn't run from that. I know he would be the first pick, but I was also a first-round pick, and I'm going to go out there and compete, and I have the advantage it'll be my third year. And How does he do? And if he does that and sells it, to me, that tells you, you know what, even if he never becomes a superstar, there's a good chance he might become good. Yeah. 
You don't have to be a superstar to go to the playoffs. Yeah, he's going to be good. Look at Geno Smith. Yeah, you got to sound like and 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 if he can sell it like I'm a little pissed off. That's revved up my competitive genes. Like I'm. Listen, man, I'm not chopped liver sitting here. You you know, he can come in here and we'll we'll compete and it'll be good. And I'll take on anybody that you want to bring in here. You know, and he can. And even say like, hey, I know they didn't pick me. That was the staff before. And they've told me they want me to improve and I'm going to improve and I'm going to show them that yeah. I can beat out Bryce Young. I can beat out whoever they bring in here. I'm ready for that challenge. Because yeah. then then they can let Skip Bayless, Colin Cowherd, Jim Rome, whoever it is, you, you know, talk and go, wow, the Bears, the Bears, you know, didn't yeah. just the quarterback kind of jilted him. And we have all yeah. this issue and, and they can blow up all that stuff and – and, and then the Bears will just sit in there laughing, you know. Yeah, so. and it's it really is a, also a great test. And teams do this all the time. They usually do it in smaller groups, which is why this would be great. Put something out there that you know is not true because you want to find out where the leaks are coming from. Yeah, yep, yep. That makes total sense. Great stuff, great stuff. Yeah. So let's finish this this way. We have... um. We had a good question from a high school offensive line coach on Twitter where where he was talking about, he asked me, what kind of traits are you looking for in a running back and what are some red flags that make them undraftable for you? And my early answer was, you know, first I tell people, look, I define every criteria point. I used to study each position for my publication. Um, I have checklists and definitions that are in in the glossary. Um, There's dozens of criteria for the position. And the broader items that I shared with him were things that I think most people, you know, think of on an intuitive level. Power, the ability to just kind of, you know, push against people and to be able to either break tackles or to be able to generate yards while wrapped um, and, and being dragged down or being pushed back. Direct contact balance, when someone comes at you and literally hits you. It's not whether it's a, a wrap-up. It's the yep. initial hit. Does it knock you off balance without even being wrapped up? Can you can you win direct contact at least against, and what level of defender can you do it from? Indirect contact. Sometimes that's even harder. Think of some of the hits Barry Sanders bounced off of where you go, that's that leg's going to get swept by yeah, exactly. pretty much everybody. But if you, can, if you can bounce off some of those, you have special contact balance. And that's indirect contact balance and against by the level vision which is just it's such a catch-all term but i would def- redefine vision as decision making awareness and a refined link between identification and action that accounts for pre-snap and post-snap criteria um and scheme that you're running against and running yep. as a part of so that's a that's a big vision is a small word for a lot of things a lot of stuff yeah Yeah. then there's elusiveness to me that's mobility footwork change of direction quickness the ability to manipulate the ability to set up you it's a link with vision um in terms of being able to execute and set up what it is you see to what it is that you need to do and a lot of it is more ingrained plan behaviors to the level of instinct um acceleration to me which is short area um, getting to getting up to top speed in the sh- in the shortest period possible, basically within that first ten maybe fifteen yards. To me, that's the initial acceleration. Then I have long speed, 
to me, which is, um, you know, that speed after the acceleration, can you maintain your top speed? You can have stamina-like speed, like Marshawn Lynch, who wasn't particularly fast, but you could you could hit him with five two-by-fours and a defensive tackle, and he's still running at the same speed he was, you know, after that 50 yards later, and you're worn out because he's basically zigzagged across the field and run through everybody exactly. and, still at the, and still running the same speed. Or you could have that Chris Johnson speed where it's another gear and you're pulling away from yeah. defensive tackle, defensive Ooh, If he gets a crease, angle. you can just wave goodbye because ain't can. nobody catching that cat from behind. That's right. Then, and then the last three, four for me are route running, you know, and the areas of route running, catching the football, um, blocking, um, and this includes both pass pro and the types of pass pro, as well as run blocking as a lead blocker, um, and then durability, which, you know, to me is more just health history, sometimes willingness to play through injury if you can. And that's more of a, that's less of a media scout category and more of a real yeah. scout category. As a media scout, I give it, I have it on my list. It doesn't get a ton of points because I don't get medical reports on a consistent basis enough to really rely on that and give it as much weight as it gets in the league. But those are things I look at and there's, you know, and then when, and then to me, red flags, Russ, are things that aren't things that make them undraftable. They're combinations of things that can make a player less appealing for the pros. But it's worth noting that there are often combinations of compensatory skills that can make one player with certain red flags a productive fit. So, for instance, the red flags that I think of just right off the bat that are easy, three of them are technically unsound pan level. When your head's down into contact and your head, your eyes aren't up, it causes your back to be in, a, in an alignment where you just go down like an anchor in water. And then yeah. there's the inability to win direct collisions versus linebackers when you have a downhill runway into a collision. Um, to me, um, I have scouted probably well over 800 running backs at this point. And at the time that I stated this, I had I had mentioned this on Twitter once because Travion Williams was a back who's with Cincinnati, who people were like, I, you know, they, they, was, they were getting some pre-draft love. And I said, not a big fan because one of the big red flags that I see that's, you know, that from what I've looked at is that he doesn't win collisions with linebackers when he has a downhill runway. And somebody said, well, that sounds weird. Do you have any metrics to support it? And I'm like, yeah, I've, here's, at that time, here's 14, 15 years worth of database information of grading players on this defined metric of what contact balance is. And I have two players who have started in the NFL out of over 700 that I've scouted at this position who, who, of the of the 700 I've scouted, there were X amount who who failed that metric, and there were only two out of that X amount who actually had a successful season of production starting in the league. And one of them was Marlon Mack. I think it was Darren. There you go. I think it was Darren McFadden and Marlon Mack, and both were momentum gap runners who, if they you know that they could have momentum and they could run downhill. 
and hit a flat-footed linebacker, sometimes a flat-footed safety, and fall backwards. Um, but they had the speed, the movement skills, and the vision and a gap scheme to pull it off. And then the yeah. other one was if their initial acceleration is slower than the baseline to play in the league. Like, not yep. start, but just play. Like, acceleration yep. to me. So there's more things than that, and I definitely want to hear yours. But for me, the idea of with running backs, the, the things that I found takeaways to be is that, for one, there's no magic red pill, for the most part, of what makes a guy undraftable. Because every there are good players in this league, good starters, who who have facets of their game that are not starter caliber and baseline. That's yep. just the fact. Um, just every, every player is that way, especially at running back. Um, and on top, and then on top of that, you want to make sure that they at least have decent acceleration to to play in the pros. That they and that um, they make good decisions in terms of that their that their decision making in terms of pre-snap post-snap within this context of their blocking scheme that they can do that they can solve problems both based on what they've been taught on the whiteboard and also within in terms of incorporating and integrating all their skills into what they're seeing at the moment and being able to, maybe they didn't practice it that way, but because they practiced all these things so much, now they can integrate solutions to problems that they haven't faced before because they've practiced things enough that they yep. have the footwork, they have the vision, that they're comfortable to look at this and go, yeah, I've never seen a linebacker shoot the gap this quickly in this way at this moment, but I've dealt with enough linebackers shooting gaps in a zone scheme that I know that if I open my hips this way that I can do this. And it's not thought when this is happening. You're just yep. looking at him going, I think he's going to do it. And if they asked him back on the film and they looked at it, he goes, I didn't realize he was that close to me. If I had thought about that, I would have been toast. But all I was thinking at that moment is I think he, I, I'm feeling him about to shoot this gap and I know that I had to get outside and he's not even telling you, I'm thinking I op I pointed my toe to open my hips to do this. It's that he practiced that skill so much that he so just said, much. I had exactly. to get outside. And that skill that we scout and say minutely, this is a skill set is that he has to learn is something that he's learned enough to just go. It's just like you ask a carpenter, you say, well, I had to build this kind of joint and I had to build this kind of thing. He didn't, unless he's running a show, a podcast, he's not going to go, I've used this type of hammer, and I thought yeah. about using these types of things. He just grabbed his tool and went to And work. did it. Yep. Yeah. No, you know, a lot of things you mentioned are things that I think of. First off, I mean, I mean, and these are in no particular order, but ability to gain yards after contact, balance, contact balance, playing strength, keeping your feet moving when you get hit not turning your back um, to the tackler, which is one of my just pet peeves. Um, ability to, and this is interesting because you say the same thing, can you get your pad level down the correct way? Because if you get it down the correct way, where you can be the punisher and you still can see what's going on, that makes you a potential rock star. A lot of guys, put they get their pad level so down, they're almost leaning to the ground 
so that any little contact and boof, they're on the ground. Even if they run through the contact, they can't keep their feet because then they're they're angled downward. Um, early on in my career, a bunch of veterans used to teach, taught me, and I've come to believe this, that if a running back can't gain yards after contact and doesn't have the ability to make guys miss. Now, I'm not talking Barry Sanders. I mean, Barry's in a world of his own, but just a little subtle elusiveness in a short area. If they can't do a little of both, it's unlikely they're going to succeed in the NFL yeah. because it's not college where the holes are 40 feet wide and these aren't stiff, unathletic linebackers and DBs coming to tackle them. These are the best athletes in the world. So you have to be able to gain yards after contact. You have to have a little wiggle. And the other thing I was taught, and I really do believe this, is there are very, very few running backs who consistently will break good tackles. That's there are a right. lot of running backs who will break an arm tackle, who will keep their feet versus hips. So you can't kill a kid if he isn't breaking tackles of guys that are set and have their feet in the perfect position and do it technically. Hey, most of the time, they're going down if, it, if the defender does everything right in the spacing. Well, if that's the case, are you at least keeping your feet moving, fighting forward? You have your pad level down, so you gain the yard or two after contact that finishes the run instead of the guys who either get hit and go backwards or turn their back. Yeah, Those things scare me. Um, I you love, just off the, right yeah. off the bat, when you talk about this is something that's important. When you hear pros on former pros on on TV and they say you have to wrap this kid up that's an important thing to think about it seems so superficial when they say it but the thing is is exactly what you explained because when I'm tracking running backs I watched Tajay Spears last night okay so I'm watching him and I, I'm I track contact so types of contact with these players so when I open up like my checklist for what it is that I'm looking for in a running back and say I go, well, I just opened up last year's, but that's a, it's still a fine example. So, for <laughs> instance, I looked at C.J. Verdell last year, and I'm looking at his grading report, and I watched one, two, three, four, five, six games of his, and I look at things like reaches. Can you someone just grab you with one hand and pull you down? That's the easiest tackle to break. If you can't break reaches, um, unless you're – Unless you're getting reached for at a at an advantageous angle by a defensive tackle who weighs 150 pounds more than you, then exactly understandable. Or the angle there's certain angles that you go that's understandable that you and hey, tackle. it's going to happen to everybody once. Yes, it's just does it is it a regular thing when hey you have the hole and this 260 pound end just gets one hand on you and yeah. you go to the ground and if that happens over and over, there's alarm bells going off. That's right. Because it's patty cake. If you're getting if you're getting if you're getting tackled by patty cakes, that's reaches. Okay, you know I look at C.J. Verdell and against defensive linemen, I categorize it by linemen, linebackers, and defensive backs. N broke nine of nine reaches in those games against defensive tackles. Seven of six against linebackers and eleven of seven against defensive backs. So right there, you're saying. That he's hitting the baseline. He's fine. He breaks most of his reaches. Yeah. Now hits. Hits can be depending on where the hit is. It can and who's hitting. You can expect them to bounce off of it, and you may have a better 
track record against hits than you do of other types of tackles. Even though hits can be the most difficult type of tackle, they can also have a wide volatility range because there's not a lot of control with them. No, so, they're, 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 they're shooting themselves at you exactly, most of the time. Exactly. So, like, he had he broke two of one hits against defensive linemen, which you'd expect. Because if a defensive lineman gets a square shot to hit you and you're a running back, most likely you're going down. I don't care if you're Jim Brown. You're going to go down yeah, exactly. more often yep. than not. All right. Linebackers, eight times he was hit, two times he bounced off. That's not bad, actually, even against yep. linebackers. Hits against defensive backs, eight times, seven times he bounced off. That's good. And yeah, and, a, is, yeah. Yeah, and a hit to me isn't whether you go down if they wrap you after they hit you and then you lose your balance and go down, to me, if you were still upright story. and you yeah. weren't tilting forward, like if if they hit you and if they didn't wrap you, you still would have been upright, you bounced off that hit. Or if they hit you and you move forward and stalemate that hit, you won that interaction because your teammates are likely to help push you in those situations. Look at Jonathan Taylor. A lot of times that he gets hit head on and it's stalemated, he starts to get a little bit of a push. And if you can count to two and if and either the whistle's going to blow or the guard is on top of his back at that point and generating a push and they let the play go on. And now Taylor's pushing with his help of his lineman another three, five, seven yards. So those are things. Now wraps... That's the point I'm getting at. And I know there's a long way to get to this, but that's all right. That's raps, what we're here for. Raps. He had 26. He was wrapped 26 times in six games and only broke one rap by a defensive lineman. He was wrapped 28 times by linebackers. Didn't break a single wrap up in 28 raps. Had 30 raps against defensive backs. Only broke five of them. So, and this is true. This type of ratio is fairly common with even good backs. Even good, like good NFL backs, when they get wrapped up, they're going down, you know, um, more often than not. So, like, even if you got Alvin Kamara, who to me is like the, the Zen warrior of like breaking tackles in the NFL right now, you would probably see, you know, 12 wraps, two broken tackles. You know, but yep. he'd remember those two broken tackles, you know, but he'd also broke on the same play. He might have broke one of those wraps, broke through three reaches and bounced off two hits. And and that's where when you start breaking down these things, you start to understand that, like you said, wraps. Backs it's are gonna, rare. Yeah, it's, it's, it's rare. It's not easy to break. These aren't just high school linebackers tackling pro Running backs, yeah, they're pros. Most of them know what they're doing, even if they're not always technically sound. If they get their hands on you and they're over their feet, it ain't easy to break the tackle. So yeah. I, that's one of the things I try not. I, I really try to stress. Hey, I'm not going to kill a kid for yeah. not breaking the tackle. But does he gain yards after contact? Is huge to me. Um, the other thing you mentioned, the short area quickness. To me, the quickness, the agility, obviously. I need to see the vision and instincts to find the hole and also to know when to cut. Yeah. There are times where, oh, the hole's there. I could cut right now. But if I cut right now, the defender who's flowing on the second level is going to meet me two yards downfield and it's going to be a collision. Whereas if I just press a half a step more or take a deep breath before I cut, he may flow to the point where he may not be out of the hole, 
but he won't be able to get back into it before I'm buying. That type of vision and instinct is what I want to see. But I also want to see with that short air quickness and cutting ability, I want to see the guy who can put a foot in the ground and make a quick jump cut. When I see a guy who has to gather and take a few steps to slow down, now, when it's on a toss and it's out on the edge, I can handle that a little bit more because they are going faster. Yes. When they get going, it's not as easy at 70 or 80% of your speed to put a foot in the ground and just explode. You need an extra step or two unless you're Adrian Peterson or somebody rare and special. So I'm okay with that. But when you're within the tackle box, you have to be better. Foot in the ground and bounce. And what I call it, and I teach this in my class because one of the first guys I work for used to always say, just tell me if they can get to and through. Can they? Do they have the quickness to get to the hole and through the hole? He said, a lot of guys can make the sharp cut, but once they put that second foot down after making the cut, they don't have the burst at that point. All they can do is make that quick, and they're not that. And he said, if they can't go to and through, he said, they ain't playing in the NFL. Yep. Because he said, it's, it, it, it just, it's, there are a lot of guys, and you may remember this may have been before your time, a kid from UCLA named Gaston Green. Oh, yeah. He was this dynamic Broncos. back, and he could hit it like he had rare speed. But if anything was in front of him, it was over because he couldn't make the cut and then re-accelerate. He was a guy that he, if he got a run-up and he hit a hole, it was over. Yeah. But that's why those guys that can boom, 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 and that's where Austin Eckler is great. He is not rare in speed, but that boom, boom, and boom, he's rare. Yeah. And I, that, to me, is so valuable. I call that transitions. And I yep. call transitions from a sideline runway, a sideline approach, or a boundary runway to a downhill runway, and 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 the way you described it, that's so it so dovetails because it's like I look at it in in the tackle box, it needs to be one step outside yep. the tackle box to be a starter, to be outside the tackle box. What I look for is I have it tiered. If it's two to three steps, you're probably a, that's a reserve level at at best. If you need two to three steps to gather your feet, to slow down enough, to flip your hips and get downhill um, after you've gotten outside the tackle box, um, whether it's a run to the short side boundary or flat, or especially if you're running at full speed on a to the far side. If you need two to three steps, you're probably a reserve. If you need... Yep. Um, or more than three steps. If you need more than three steps, it, you, it, it's deficient. It Two or three happening. steps, you're your reserve or contributor, um, depending on other a, a areas. One to two steps, you're a starter, uh, if it's outside. Zero yep. steps, you're a stud. And so, yes. like last night, I'm watching Tajay Spears running back out of Tulane. And I show a tape of him against Memphis. Toss play. I think it's a toss play. All I know is the play. It's a run where he has to work to the far side boundary where you've built up some momentum. Yep. No steps. No steps wow. to the outside. And then makes a curvy linear move at top speed after he's downhill to get away from a guy. The guy is grease. He's just wow. he's just literally grease. That's his. He 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 moves like grease. It's unbelievable. Uh, but uh, those guys are so valuable because people don't realize it's when the ball's going outside. Not it, these are really elite athletes. Not many can make a boom cut. It's yeah. usually they have to put a foot in the slow and then a foot to cut. If it's great, like that's yeah. one two, and that's right where you're at. Like that's the yeah. limit to being a starter. 
And then when you find a guy who doesn't even need that, who can literally just see and says, all right, I'm just going to put that foot and go. Yes. And you're like, that's what to me I always remember. And I think you were doing RSP at this time. The kid who came out of Georgia, yep. he was like a either a late round pick or a free agent by Denver was Olendis Gary. Yep. And Gary was not great at a lot of things, but he was great at when he saw it, he hit it and he hit it fast. And he also, the other thing I would add, when we talk about the contact and getting to and through the hole, the guys who hit it aggressively. Yeah. Because the guys who hit the hole aggressively, they have a chance. Like you're talking about the reaches and the hits. Those don't even slow down the aggressive guys. Because when you attack, they have to wrap you up. And you don't have to be, while Leonard Fournette is the poster boy when he yes. first got into yes. the league, of being able to attack, accelerate into contact, you don't have to be a bruiser like Fournette to be that. The no. best backs, regardless of size, do that. Jamal Charles was great at that. Jamal Charles, who was Tajay Spears' size, um, you know, 5'10", 5'11", 195, he could bounce off defensive tackles at OU doing that because he knew that if you're the first to hit, you control the interaction. And therefore, yep. you're the one that, while they're reacting to the shock of the first contact and having to and counter that, you're already countering if you have if you got good combinations of moves. So to answer like a question, there's a guy named Ian Moraes from um, Brazil who who wrote me and and saw uh, a Tajay Spears thing and said, "Wow, he's got great athletic ability." Because I'm watching him, I showed a a. a an outside run of his where he carved an S in the middle of the field and completely changed the axis of pursuit <laughs> and literally ran like 50, 50, 40, 50 yards, but like ran, that was the length of the field. He ran about 70 yards across the width of the field on top of that. And he goes, that's great athleticism, but shouldn't he have just kept going? Couldn't he have even scored? And so the, the answer for you would be in is that what you're, you're, you're missing you're you're focused on the icing the lettering on the icing and you've and you're not emphasizing the weight of the cake because the cake in that was the fact that he was able to bend and get downhill that fast and be able to change direction that fast without missing a beat with a safety inches from you and be able to make two to three players miss with bending at top speed the fact that you can it's do rare. that if you give a guy a ball and he's able to do that on, you know, eight eight runs out of fifteen, he's probably gained fit at least five to thirty yards on each of those runs, which he did in that game. He had I think two hundred thirty yards against Memphis. Um, he, you know, so yeah, he didn't break the seventy yard run doing the Red Grange across the field, Carvin and S against you know Ohio State back when he was at Illinois. You know, he didn't do that, but um, rarely do any backs ever do that in the league anymore. No doubt. Yeah. No doubt. So, I would add the only other thing to me, I mean, there are a number of factors, but you mentioned the, 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 how, they, how they can be part of the passing game. So the route running, to me, the hands is something that's so undervaluated with running backs. So many people... When they see a running back in college, they just say, oh, he caught the ball. He caught, okay, he has good hands. Uh, tell me how he catches the ball. Does he reach out and catch it? Does he let every ball into his body? 
how does he do when he has to twist? Because running backs are either often reaching in front if the swing pass is way in front of them, or they have to twist backwards because either the throw's bad or there's guys there and the quarterback knows he's got to put it behind him and hope that he can catch it and still. So can he twist? Certain guys have really good hands, but they're tight. And they don't have the ability to catch when it's not right within their target. So I need to know their ability to catch, not just how they sort of, oh, they caught 80 out of 80 balls. Okay, great. But were all those balls within his frame? Or can they adjust off of what's normal? And how quick are they to get the ball and get upfield? A lot of guys catch it, have to get settled, look. And by the time they do that, they're tackled. How do they do when they're catching amongst the pillars? When they're on a screen pass and they get two defenders and two linemen of their own all around them, and they got to reach up and pluck it and stuff like that. It's hard. Yeah. But here you go. Yeah. And this is a good example of that same guy last night. Um, fourth quarter. Um, let me see if I can turn off the volume here. Fourth quarter. Oh, oh actually, overtime. Exactly what we're talking about. Yep. Yeah. And, exactly. and what, what we're describing is basically it's not a back shoulder play. But it is a little bit towards his back shoulder. He has to reach out and catch for the ball away from his frame, lean towards the boundary, drag his feet with the defender um, basically poking at his forearm um, at the end of the game on basically a red zone pass that you would reserve for a guy that they split outside. And he makes a good hands technique catch, hand being swatted on the back of his wrist where he made the catch point, leaning away from the ball, dragging his feet at the boundary and then he has to be able to embrace the fall and not land directly on the ball and he rolls through that so that he doesn't the correct you know it's funny one of the things that it it took me a long time to sort of adjust to it and it's for receivers running backs tight ends anybody that catches the ball one of the things that you really learn is and it's a hard thing to do because we all grow up when when we're about to fall down we instinctively want to brace ourselves yeah and the best receivers running backs and tight ends catching the ball have broken what is a natural human habit is once you get your hands on the ball no matter what do you do anything but get that ball against your body you do not try to break your fall and it's people may think that sounds easy it goes against all human nature and there are a lot of receivers that would make that play there catch it and then it would pull one end off the ball to try to soften their landing and when that happens and they hit the other hand can't keep control of the ball or the defender can yank it out yeah so there's a lot of things that you look at with receivers and just in this case being a running back it's the same thing he gets his hands and he pulls it in and he doesn't take an arm away from the play he allows the the basically the ground to hit him so that he can make sure he wraps the ball up it's yeah it, that's exactly that's a perfect example of it yeah so i mean it's it's a lot of fun you know getting a chance to be able to talk about running backs for sure you know when we when we talk about this guy um but yeah i mean we're i think you know obviously we're not doing video with this particular show um so i'm not you know some of the things that i can show with ty J. spears i'm probably going to show russ as we uh as we as we wrap this up but uh, but you know certainly this has always been an enjoyable show. We're gonna t- we'll probably talk about what we look for with some of the other positions as we get into draft season and and continue that because that was a fun and productive conversation as well as getting to talk about other players um, 
you know, and some of the news that comes out by free agency, pre-draft, stuff like that. So, And maybe we'll even do a little, uh, maybe we'll throw film on of some of the players and sort of talk through what we each see. Because we'll each see different things as we're watching quarterbacks or tight ends or whatever it may be that you may get excited about one thing and I'll get excited about something else. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. So, um, yeah, on that note, thanks again, folks, for listening. And, uh, and you know, you can find my work at mattwaldmanrsp.com. You can find Russ Landy at Russ Landy on Twitter. Um, and we will be back in a couple of weeks. You guys take care.